Getting back to uh, the story of the Saskatchewan situation, the stabbing spree that took place on the James Smith Cree Nation, as you know, uh, ultimately 11 people dead, one of them uh, a suspect, Damien Sanderson. Um, the names of the other 10 were released this morning as well. Six of them share the last name Burns. Uh, not sure if they're related or how they're related. That information will be uh, forthcoming as we go along here. One of the victims also named Sanderson, 49 years old. Um, what's the relation to Damien and Miles Sanderson? The two suspects don't know. Don't know if there is one. But, of course, that's another question that's going to be asked today as well. In the meantime, the suspect in all of this, the lone, lone surviving suspect at least, Miles Sanderson, remains on the loose, has not been found. Uh, originally reported to be in Regina. Police saying yesterday that, yeah, they don't think he's necessarily there anymore. There were reports that he was back at the James Smith Cree Nation. Uh, police responded and then went public and said, yeah, we we didn't find him here either. So at this point, it doesn't appear they have a very good handle on just where he might be. The question a lot of people have asked is, we should know exactly where he is, and that should be behind bars. Why on earth was this person... Um, out in the community to begin with. We've gone through his record, 59 charges by the age of 31, many of them violent, um, was granted parole. Parole board saying they thought it would actually be a benefit to public safety if he was released because it would help with his rehabilitation. Clearly, they were grossly, grossly mistaken and uh, with tragic results. So let's get some details on how all this comes about. We're going to chat with Ari Goldkind, uh, a legal analyst. Ari, thanks so much for joining us. Always appreciate your time, sir. Great to be with you on this horrifying story for a whole number of reasons. Yeah, no doubt. We'll get to the parole in a minute. Ari, first of all, four years, four months, 19 days, a year of probation, 59 charges, many of them violent, including punching and kicking a police officer in the face. Um, how on earth does somebody in that position get a sentence of under five years on their 59th charge? Well, there's two reasons for it. One, because we live in a stupid country that really doesn't understand that the fact that in a battle between good and evil, evil continually wins out over the law-abiding, the peaceful. And the part of the story, before I get to number two, which is the word you're not allowed to say because we live in woke world as to why these sentences are so low. One of the worst parts about this is that very often for this kind of crime by these kinds of criminals, whether it be in urban areas in downtown Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, or on the James Cree Reserve, the people that are butchered or mowed down, just like we see in the south side of Chicago, are not people who live in Martha's Vineyard, are not people with the last name Trudeau or billionaires who live in gated communities. They're the very people in these communities that are preyed upon by these kinds of killers. And that, to me, is one of the more upsetting parts of the story. And that is literally how our country does the business of criminal justice. The second part, again, is because he ticks a demographic checkbox that everybody is going to purse their lips and get cowardly about today. And that straight from the Supreme Court on down, as soon as you check that demographic checkbox, whether anybody says it openly or not, and many will say it openly to their credit, that can and often does greatly reduce your sentence. And the third part, and I'll digress here, is what was it supposed to be? The 60th time right. was the charm. The 59th time didn't do it. And 
you know, there's a regime in the criminal code, and as a criminal defense lawyer, I see it applied, in my view, sometimes too often. We should, before our segment ends, talk about what a dangerous offender finding yes. is and why it was never sought for this man. We will. We definitely will. I want to back up a bit, though, because you're not the only person to raise the issue of demographics and how that plays into sentencing and parole decisions in this country. Now, I know there's legal... Um, you, you're, you're not just saying that, Ari. There is actual legal um, oh, precedent it, it, you're, you're it, citing it, here. Walk yeah. us through some of that. Sure. This is not the Ari Gold kind opinion, as controversial or contentious as I can sometimes be, even though I'm very proud to be a criminal defense lawyer and take that job very seriously. Every person, if Miles Sanderson called me tomorrow and said, I want you to defend me, I would drop everything I would do and I would defend him to the hilt. I want your audience to have no confusion about that. But I'm not here on one side or the other. I'm here as an analyst. And when I tell you that this is how the sausage is made, this is a feature, not a bug, of our sentencing regime. Any one of your listeners, and they should only do it after your show is off air and we're done talking because nobody should split their attention from us. Of course. You can Google a case called the Queen and Gladue, G-L-A-D-U-E. And in almost every single sentencing matter involving an Indigenous person who were constantly told are overrepresented, in the criminal justice system, in the penitentiary system, by that thinking, there are people who are so far wide of the spectrum, on a certain side of it, by the way, that would say, arguably, that Miles Sanderson adds to that problem if and when he goes to jail. Think that through. But you'll see, and the reporting is there, so this is not my opinion, that courts and parole boards have surmised that because he ostensibly or allegedly or claimed to or there was documentation of a difficult upbringing, and I'm not going to get too far into any of that, as soon as that is raised, you don't even have to prove that you've been abused or anything like that. You just simply have to show certain things that we don't have time to get into. Your sentences, absent a whole other number of factors, mm -hmm. are going to be less, and the courts will treat you very, very differently on your acts than if your name is Shea Ganim. Yeah, and you know, and Ari, and I, you know what, I mean, even, I'm a guy who can say, you know what, that makes sense in some cases. Uh, but when you've got an instance like this where you've got violent offenders proven, proven to have no problem being extraordinarily violent, that need, in the interest of public safety, that's the thing that bugs me about the parole decision, and I want you to talk about that. Um, yeah. In the interest of public safety, it would be better to have him out of from behind bars because it would help with his rehabilitation i mean it, at some point doesn't incarceration okay it's a punishment it's a deterrent but at the same time doesn't it keep the rest of society safe well that's the whole idea of separating offenders from society right. when they shouldn't breathe the same air as you and i let's go a step further let's make this even more interesting for listeners you'll recall you and i talked a number of months ago about a gigantic supreme court decision where if you're a serial killer or you take more than one life Remember, the Harper government, never overturned by the Trudeau government, remember this, said, look, if you kill three or four people, you're Robert Picton, you're Paul Bernardo, you're Bruce MacArthur, every life you take should matter in the parole calculation, okay? Yep. Yep. So that every life isn't taken. The Supreme Court came along in a decision that I could do an hour with you on easily, came along and said, that's cruel and unusual, you shouldn't deprive the Moss killer, Bissonette, or Miles Sanderson 
you shouldn't deprive him of the right to apply for parole after 25 years. Anything more would be cruel and unusual. I go back to this central point. There are people that commit crimes that are an aberration. Uh, It's a momentary lapse of judgment. Something happens, provocation, loss of control, you name it. There's all sorts of things across this country. But then there are people that are absolute ticking time bombs. But because we live in woke world, and believe me, believe me when I tell you, every judge and every parole board member is aware that we live in woke world. Let me quote to you what the parole board says, because you you started it. Let me conclude the paragraph that I think should make the people on that reserve and the people who were butchered to death, because that's what stabbing is. Absolutely, yeah. That's right. And it is butchering a human being, okay? Vulnerable people themselves being butchered. Here's what the parole board said. It's our opinion that you will not present an undue risk to society. Your release will contribute to the protection of society by facilitating your reintegration into society as a law-abiding citizen. Now, the kicker to that is that everybody knows it's horse manure. But the parole board's hands were in some ways, in in fairness to the parole board, I've I've got to say this. Hmm. Because he got the statutory release, this was not early parole. That's right. There was very little they could do with him. There are are opportunities when you get to two-thirds of your sentence that you're so dangerous that you're held in. It's almost never done. Don't get me started on that. But what escapes scrutiny here, and I've seen everybody going all off on the parole board, okay? Everybody's done that. There needs to be some journalistic inquiry here into the prosecutorial office of who prosecuted him last that said, this man who's 31, who was a ticking time bomb, and everybody knew it. You left out the part about terrorizing the kids in the bathtub. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can go through, we went through the whole case yesterday. I mean, there's there's about seven or eight incidents that just, you know, make your skin crawl. And here's the point. No matter where you live, whether you're near an Indigenous community, whether you're on a reserve, whether you live in downtown Toronto, Montreal, Edmonton, Calgary, you name it, when the criminal code literature says, we know that somebody is a ticking time bomb, a very live question should be asked as to why a prosecutor didn't seek what's called the dangerous offender designation for him. And I can tell you, as sure as I'm sitting here, and I am sitting, If a prosecutor would have sought that with the 59 previous convictions, you don't even need 59 previous ones. You could have one, two. Mm -hmm. You could have none. I can tell you that this would not have been the parole board's doing. He would have been behind bars, and these people would not have died in vain. And I will tell you that what you're going to hear in the weeks to come from a certain side of the spectrum that has an L before its word and a T at the end of it, is that we need to spend more billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars on these issues. I'm telling you, that won't fix it. Having some prosecutorial spine will, but you are faced with the Supreme Court guidance that we talked about a moment ago. This is a very sad situation. Ari, can you hang on for a minute? Of course. Yeah, I want to get into the dangerous offender and what might happen if sure. this guy's brought in, but uh, I need to take a break. So we're with, chatting with Ari Goldkind, legal analyst. Uh, we'll take a quick break and be back with him right after this. Chatting with Ari Goldkind, legal analyst, about this situation surrounding Miles Sanderson and why he was out in the first place. And um, Ari, 
Uh, just to get into this for a second, a couple of different things. We'll do dangerous offender in a sec. First of all, uh, this two-thirds mandatory. I mean, so if you're sentenced to six uh, years in jail, the odds of you doing any more than four are slim to none. It's called statutory release after two-thirds, right? Well, let's actually take your listeners more into behind the scenes. If you get a six-year sentence, it's very unlikely that you're going to do more than two. You're going to get released at the one-third mark, absent certain things. I'm not good at math. I'm hoping two out of six. I think you're right. I I hope so. But that's why I'm a lawyer, not a scientist. (laughs) But in any event, the point of the story is most Canadians don't know that. And I mean that very sincerely. You'll read a headline every day in your city, mine, and various towns across this country where somebody gets 10 years. Well, what it really means is they get three and a third. Yeah. You'll You'll also see, and I'll just make the point here, as much as we make fun of our neighbors to the south, You take a look at what they think about violent crime and what the sentences people get there for rape, uh, child abuse, other things. Certain things they do there are out of skew, drug possession and, you know, ruining people's lives over nonviolent crime. But they take these things seriously. And the moral of the story, before we move on to your question, is we're just moving more and more. I blame anti-social media. I believe that there's a minority that rules us that do not speak for the majority but pretend they are where it's always the law-abiding, the law-abiding, ordinary, average, tax-paying, peaceful citizen that has to pay for the sins of the evil. And you'll know, and I'm going to make this point, and I'm hoping your listeners know what I'm talking about. There's a teacher that was killed last week uh, down south in the United States, a kindergarten teacher, and she was killed by a man in the same situation with some differences as Sanderson. Demographics play into a part... This was a man that should have never been out with the opportunity to kill her. And the reason this story will pass, and it will pass, is because the kinds of people killed are the people that most deserve protection. Not Christopher Freeland and Justin Trudeau and, you know, conservatives and NDPs who all have private security details and people who live in gated communities. That is the out-of-touch nature of our criminal justice system. And I can assure you, If this happened and Miles Sanderson took the life of powerful people, there'd be a much greater earthquake happening in Canada right now. And I assure you, this earthquake next week, we'll be talking about some Kardashian nonsense or something else. Um, Ari, dangerous offender. Uh, We know that it gets thrown around. uh, It gets applied sometimes in this country as well. Fifty nine charges. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's not number of charges, right? It's severity. I mean, how do we decide that, okay, you know what? That's enough. It's not three strikes and you're out, but it's along the same lines. We're just not going to deal with this anymore. So let me explain this because I think it's the one thing that's not being talked about as a result of the Sandersons. I believe that the one brother who's on the lam now probably killed his brother. That's what it sounds like, yeah. Yeah, talk about Cain and Abel. Then you talk about the police searching for him since May. They weren't searching for him. You know how many thousands of people are unlawfully at large in your province and mine that nobody's looking for, that's a horseman your line that's being fed to the public as well, by the way. And that lack of searching, and I'm not faulting the police for it, it's, again, a feature of our system, not a bug. Mm-hmm. There are people dead and butchered as a result of it. Here's dangerous offender, the regime, as simply as I can put it, you don't need to be a lawyer to understand this. There are people that will commit a crime. That crime fits a risk profile that's thought to be high risk. But they're viewed as a ticking time bomb. So what do you do? What a prosecutor does in Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatoon, Regina, 
You simply make an extraordinarily quick application to a judge. I mean this sincerely. And you say, pursuant to a, a, a section in the criminal code, I won't get into the weeds, we would like this person's risk to be analyzed by a court-appointed psychiatrist trained in this issue. The threshold for that assessment to go out is extraordinarily low. And when I say extraordinarily, I mean as low as you can think. Then at least you get a report that comes back to the Crown Attorney and the judge. And if that person is such a high risk to reoffend, you have what's called the dangerous offender proceeding, and it prevents that person from honestly and realistically, no matter what anybody tells you, ever breathing right. the same air as you and I. And that is a part of this story, that if Miles Sanderson didn't tick that box when you take woke world and demographics out of it, I can point to you right now on your air five to ten examples of people who were found to be dangerous offenders who were not one iota dangerous with the track record or, or without as Miles Sanderson. Interesting. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, thank you so much for your time. As always, I appreciate you being here.